Ramble. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue. They started calling it the New Age Killing. Something that would have sounded kind of absurd to our parents. Maybe it sounded bizarre to our grandparents. Even sitting there during lunch, you might be thinking, let me just tell them what's going on in the news. And they'd sit there, what are you saying? I mean, it sounds not impossible to us. Jealousy has always been a killer, right? We've shared stories of spouses killing out of jealousy. Stalkers who have never even been with their victims or in their victims' lives. They get jealous that they're dating somebody new. And they will take that victim's life. But this one felt strange. Like, imagine telling this to your grandparents. Okay, so, Grandma, hear me out. It's a little bit weird. It's a little bit complicated. So, Girl A was an influencer. She, like, makes her money by working with companies, okay? Girl B was, like, an even bigger influencer. No, 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 not on Facebook, Grandma. I mean, sometimes on Facebook, but... uh, Okay, anyway, just listen. Girl A got jealous because she thought that Girl B was stealing her brand deals and her opportunities. So Girl A got her boyfriend to kidnap and rape Girl B to teach her a lesson, to make sure that her life was ruined. Maybe she hoped that Girl B would be so traumatized that she would would never work again, and Girl A would rise to the spotlight. That sounds insane, right? I mean, your grandma already looks lost and confused and like, this is too much. What kind of world is this? But that's not all, grandma. Apparently, the boyfriend was the son of the chairman of Cartier. Yeah. Cartier? It gets so weird. So as always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com. But as always, with foreign cases and with chances of things being lost in translation, please let me know if there is anything that, you know, got lost in our efforts to get this case to you guys. I did work with professional translators for this case, so hopefully nothing was left out. And just be ready to be upset. This case is going to have you shocked and infuriated at the end because why are there so many plot twists and evil people in this world? It's literally called the case of the snakes and the scorpions. I mean, which one's scarier? Snake or scorpion? I feel like scorpion's scarier. Scorpions are so scary. Did you know in Arizona that a lot of people, um, when they turn off their lights in their house, they Mm -hmm. have another switch next to it, which is a blue light, like a black light. Mm -hmm. And you turn it on because scorpions glow that neon green in black lights. What? That's how they find scorpions hiding in their house. That's horrifying. That's terrifying. Imagine you're like, okay, nightly routine. Let's go hunting for scorpions inside our house so they don't kill us in our sleep. So 
let's get into it. There is a different world that we have to dive into a bit before we get started. So this is all going to make sense and give you more context. Rich kids operate differently, especially second generation rich kids. There's a name for it in Asia. It's Fuardai. 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 Rich second generation. Yeah, it. Yeah, that's literally what it translates to. Rich second generation, aka daddy's money. They're stereotypically known to just live these lavish, over the top lives with the help of their parents' black Amexes. They're spoiled rotten. Typically, they're seen as obnoxious. They get the best privileges of studying abroad. But do they come back with an educated mind? No, they come back having learned nothing but how to shotgun a beer. That's about it. So what makes them a bit different from second generation rich kids from other areas of the world? It's because, so a lot of rich kids in different areas of the world come from old money, like old, old money. But Fuardai are literally second generation, meaning in Asia, um, there's not as much old money. Like even when you talk about the Samsung group, you wouldn't necessarily call them old money. You know, it's not like the Rockefellers or the Kennedys or these types of families. Their parents are kind of referred to as new money. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm talking big money, billionaires, but still somewhat relatively new money. It's like a rags to riches story. But then here are their children spending as much as possible as if their life freaking depends on stimulating the economy with their daddy's card. It, it's almost disappointing to see. Mm-hmm. You know, how does your dad make it from rags to riches and here you are, not a thought in that little brain of yours. Like for the public, it's, it's almost shocking to see. So one for our die was known for throwing cash into the hallways of school. So I think yes. I think like the reason why Fuardai gets such a bad name. I mean, obviously not all of them. Oh no, are, no, are, no, yeah, are like this. But a lot of them, because at least for China, right? Like when I grew up, a lot of parents made their money catching the wave of real estate or business. Mm-hmm. You know, the first generation when China was booming thirty years ago. So they make their fortune, but in return, they don't watch after their kids. They're too busy. Yeah, they're too busy working. So their kids just be they be they were given cash. Yeah. To spend, so a lot of them grew up in this very, very well-rounded family. All they do is, you know, they have money and they spend around. So a lot of them catch this bad name, and <laughs> you know, obviously with news and social media, you know. So usually, for that, is not like a good word. Yeah, for someone, <laughs> it's. I, I mean, it makes sense because in Korea, it's like the tibber. You know, you have some of the kids that grow up and they overtake their parents' companies, and they. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're good people, but they try to do the best business moves, and then you have some of them that just go clubbing all day mm-hmm. that just want to hang out with idols and like have their own social media fun they hang so, out with idols yeah it's kind of split in half huh. you know you have half the kids that are like i don't want to wear flashy items i need to represent my family and stuff so i'm assuming it's the same right mm-hmm. now this one for our dies said i just like to throw cash in the hallways of school like not even as a metaphor. I don't like to. I don't like to wield my name around. No, I literally throw physical bills of cash into the hallways at school. Why? Well, everybody's competing in school. You're either competing for grades or competing to be respected, competing to be liked. And if I can win by literally throwing cash in the hallways, it's fine. So you I'm make winning. It rain. He made it rain. They call me crazy, but it works. Which I assume it might. I'm thinking if this guy wants to get the best grades, throw cash in the hallways. Because even if I studied ten hours for that test, I might be in the hallways. <laughs> like knowing high school me, I would definitely be in the hallways. <laughs> 
So a Redditor posts this and take this with a grain of salt, but he worked with a ton of rich people. And he says that there's four major levels to wealth and rich people. There's the, you're a millionaire to about $30 million in net worth. He said that these people that he's seen, they're at that five-star hotel range. They book $2,000 hotel suites a night for special occasions. They fly international first class. They've got a beautiful house. They afford high-quality health care. No emergency financial situation can destroy their life, but they still have to be pretty careful with their big decisions. You are not fully insulated from personal financial stress. The banking world does not classify you as ultra high net worth. Then you have the 30 to 100 million net worth. At this point, you start playing with the big boys. You don't even fly commercial. You fly private or you charter planes. You have multiple residences. Each one of them are fantastic. They're beautiful. You vacation prime time in Lake Como. And then during the winters, you head over to ski in Aspen during peak seasons. But that's okay because you have a ski house there. You go to Monaco for Christmas. You do this all the time. You probably drop five to $20,000 a night at hotels that you stay at. You rub elbows with congressmen, senators, community letters. This is the stage where you start getting a lot of personal assistance and there are steps to get in contact with you. Nobody is talking to you without passing through a couple of different people first. You can travel anytime, anywhere, in style, and you can pretty much buy anything you want that normal people would classify as rich people things. Then you have the 100 million to 1 billion range. And the Redditor says, yeah, I know it seems like a really crazy range, but like this is when money doesn't really start affecting you much. It's like you got the money or you don't have the money. He said that uh, it, it's when you own your own private jet. You have multiple residences with live-in staff. You want your houses to feel lived in, even if you go to your vacation house, maybe three days out of the year. You have elite cars at each residence, just in case you want to go for a drive. Ownership or control over major businesses that are typically household names. You can socialize with movie stars, politicians, singers, corporate elite, royalty, anyone that you really want to. Listen, you might not get invited to every party, but you can pretty much go anywhere you want. Like if you want to go to that party, you can get an invite. Your world is going to be full of yes men. You might even start thinking about buying a private island. Friends and family get a little bit rarer on this level because for some reason he said that all these people around this range, they just don't have trust in people at all. Kind of sad. Oh, yeah. Is this sad? So sad. I mean, so sad. Like, let them go cry in their little private jet, okay? <laughs> then the last year, you have the Billionaire Boys and Up Club. Life changes at this stage. You can buy anything anything that you want. He said the wealthiest person that, well, the most um, income generating person that he worked with was somebody that was making $400 million a year. And the way to put it is like most people, first class ticket is $10,000. It's going to feel like $10,000. If you put it into his range of how much he makes, it's like $10, literally. Mm -hmm. It's like $10. Imagine Mm-hmm. A first class ticket was listed on Delta for ten dollars. Ten thousand like would be ten dollars exactly. It's like you going to the Target and dropping ten bucks right now. Like that's the feeling, and that is mind boggling to me. Yeah. I mean, anything that you want, you got it. Anyone that you want, you got it. You're at the stage where now you can tell one of your many assistants to call whoever your heart desires. This could be a movie star. This could be a president, a government official, literally anyone, a Fortune 500 CEO. And you will almost always get a call back, not from their assistant, but from them. 
You're influential just for being rich. You can start shaping public policy, public debate, and you only care about buying time. That private jet is fueled and waiting for you. The other billionaire boys, like all these hundred millionaires, you know, they probably charter their staff. So the flight attendants, they're interchanging because they go through a third party. But at this level, you have flight attendants that you pay a full annual salary just to sit around just in case you want to fly somewhere. You're saying this is billionaire, right? Yeah, like they're your full-time, like the pilot is your employee, not a contractor, and they literally sit around all day, every day, just in case you want to fly. You have celebrity chefs catering to every meal on the plane, on your yacht. You take them to travel with you just in case you get sick of eating out. You want to get the Louvre to show show you around and have the curator be your personal guide off hours or even during peak hours. You got it. You want to race the top driver on on a closed Formula One track? You got it. You want to have dinner with Bill Nye, the science guy, and Bill Gates at the same time, two bills on each side? You probably got it. I don't know if... Bill Gates was. He probably I mean, was. He's a billionaire. But like, don't you so, think he'd be intrigued? Like, I mean, Bill Nye? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Beyonce is performing at your 60th birthday party. And the respect that you get, I mean, it's over the top. He said that watching these people, they are the man or the woman in every circle that they go to. Everybody looks up to you. Fortune 500 CEOs want to lick your butthole. People with $700 million net worths want to have a chance to just sit down with you for two seconds. Presidents look at you like a peer. And sorry to sound stereotypical, but the Redditor noted, it's literally impossible to have a normal relationship at this level. Because think about it, it's hard for these people to sacrifice anything for anyone because they could live the rest of their lives never having to sacrifice anything. Their time becomes so valuable, they would rather throw money at their loved ones to help fix their problems because time is worth more. And that makes them lose connections with people. And I don't know if that's true, okay? I don't really hang out around billionaires, (laughs) but like, um, that's just what he's seen so far. So there's a huge difference between all of us and the top of this list. Like they're living a completely different life. It doesn't even feel like the same game. (laughs) Like this guy, another Furidai in college, he said, two of the buildings in my college were donated by my father. There was no AC in the dorms and I was suffering. Like, can you imagine growing up in like the penthouses and these massive en suites anywhere he goes? I was just suffering. And I told my dad, like, I can't do this. I, I think I need to go to a new college or drop out because it's so hot. So what does daddy do? He buys the dorm buildings. He bought two of the buildings, installed AC units on every single dorm room and engraved his child's name on each unit. <laughs> because he can't just put it in his kid's unit, you know? Oh, man. Soon, all the students thanked the Furadai and even wanted to build a shrine and call him the AC God <laughs> to show their appreciation, to worship him, really. Yeah, I know. It's crazy because like we think that being super rich is like owning a nice house and having a nice car, right? But even these days, that seems impossible. But when you go online and you read about these wealthy billionaire kids... That's not even that. Did you know that for every mega yacht, let's say you buy a hundred million dollar yacht. It's wild. But there's something called a shadow yacht. Do you know Mm. what a shadow yacht is? You need to buy an additional yacht, a $40 million yacht that shadows your main yacht that carries your jet skis, storage, smaller boats, helicopters, just in case. Yeah, a shadow yacht worth $40 million to hold your billionaire boy toys. 
there was this one guy that was so rich. He was hosting this huge party at his villa um, overlooking the water in Italy, right? He had his yacht, his mega yacht transported to Italy. That cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Then he parked it right downstairs and he hired an entire crew to be on the entire yacht for the length of the party. They even set the tables. Like they set food for 200 people on the yacht, but nobody was actually planning on going on the yacht. The whole party was in the villa. He wanted mm -hmm. to keep it in the villa. It was a villa party. But he said, I just wanted the yacht ready in case I took a couple of friends down there and we wanted to, I don't know, take some bites of caviar. But the yacht staff said that he never came. He just pointed from the balcony and said, that's my yacht. And all the staff were just waiting. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that, I'm assuming that's like tens of thousands of dollars just to set it up for one night, just so you can point at it and be like, that's my shit right there. That's crazy. Wow. No? Yeah. It's just so bizarre. And, you know, the world of Furidae has become so prominent on social media that there have been spin-off communities. And it's just as weird as it sounds. But there is a whole world, a whole community for flexing. And you're like, Stephanie, what's the difference? We have that here in America. It's a little bit different. So here it's like, oh my God, guys, look at this car that I have. Let me show it to you nonstop. You know, let me just constantly take pictures of it. But it's a little bit weirder. Sometimes these communities, when you go on apps like Red or TikTok, you see a ton of uh, young kids driving supercars, and there are so many of them. It almost led me to believe that everybody in Asia is loaded. I'm like, why are they just all rich? What the heck? Like, why does every single 18-year-old have a fancy car and a luxury villa and, like, just stay at the nicest hotels? How are there so many rich people over there? And that's what gets the attention online. They sit in their designer clothes, in their supercars, and they start teaching you the rules to success. Even though you know, and I know, that they don't know the rules to success. Their dad probably knows, but not this one. <laughs> or some people just fake being rich to get the respect. They want people to bow down at their feet. They think money will buy that. They think money will get them the girls, the models, the opportunities, the reservations that are hard to get. So you're like, okay, does everybody go into debt trying to buy a Ferrari just so they can flex online? No. There's something called pindan culture. And uh, <laughs> this came to be in the flexing world. And it's, it's technically a translation of group order. Like people have this in other aspects, but in the flexing world, it means that there are <laughs> group chats, sometimes with hundreds of people. And um, <laughs> the chats are always titled something so silly, like socialite group. And someone will put out an announcement. This Saturday, Ferrari, they'll include a picture. $1,000 a day. We need 60 people. We currently have 42 spots filled. Each person is to pay about $20. <laughs> the plan is that they rent a Ferrari for one day, yeah. split the time into even slots. And during that hour, you get to do whatever you want with it. Which most people just take it around a brief spin around the block and take photos to post online. It's kind of like, wasn't there like these uh, fake jet oh my God, yes that people are doing? Yes. Like to pretend like you're, I'm a jet. It's so strange. Yeah. So this is like the, yeah. you know, the, the China version of it. I, I never understood the concept around that, but I guess it works because anytime I do see someone in a private jet, I'm like, oh, whoa, that's yeah. cool. Who are you? What, what do, do they do? do? Yeah. Yeah, and then they're usually like selling a course and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Never mind. So it's like the same thing. Like here, fake gurus <laughs> borrow a car, sell <laughs> courses. Yeah. But sometimes it does create for really awkward moments. There was a girl, let's call her Girl A, who was in one of these chats. And normally she would have gotten the Ferrari and taken pictures of it. But she had a first date that night with this guy that she had met. And she was just super excited to get together with him. So she's like, I have to pass. I'm not doing this little Ferrari photo shoot. 
Well, the date comes to pick her up. First date. Uh, she had heard so many good things about him. He's so kind. He's very wealthy. Shows up in a Ferrari. The same one from the group chats. <laughs> her guy, the date, the one that was introduced to her as this wealthy, cool guy. Well, she found out that he was in the chat. And not only that, but his cousin had offered to split the fee with him because a lot of people had booked it. And he had just paid a whopping $7 for it. So the girl is now sitting in the passenger seat thinking, what the fuck is my life? Here I am supposed to be with this rich guy, but he's driving around in a Ferrari that he got for $7. Well, at least for 30 minutes before he has to give it to the next person. What in the world? <laughs> like, is it weird or is it smart? We'll never know. <laughs> Another group chat came out that said, Ferrari, come on, guys. It's the new Ferrari 458. Need five guys. It's 850 a day, so about 200 a person. You can take photos during the day. During the night, we already have the schedule planned out. We're taking it to the bars. We're splitting up the hours in the bars that we choose so that we don't run into the same people. If you, <laughs> Oh, this part is alarming. If you catch a fish at night and you want to take the fish home, keep the car, but you have to pay an additional 170 later if you catch a fish so seeking yeah so the next time you see someone at the club with a ferrari just to know especially if you're in la just know it's probably a rental and nothing's wrong with that just know it's probably a rental <laughs> man yeah yeah in la it's fascinating and again i'm not judging these people because do whatever your heart wants with your own money but there will be a lot of guys who will rent ferraris or lamborghinis and rodeo you see a lot of people what they do is um if you're walking down rodeo you'll see the same ferrari do loops around the street yes. just like f for an hour and during red lights they'll like stop to talk to girls that they fancy and then they'll do another loop and they're talking to another group of girls and then they'll do another <laughs> loop and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> i'm just thinking with these gas prices this is is not economically smart. <laughs> like. When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s. Because the game is set in the 1920s, it just has the most aesthetic game design ever, and it's so cozy. Whenever I need a break from the suspense, I can pause the story and head over to my private island. Yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottagecore mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, 
celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. But then the group chats, you know, why just do it with cars? They start doing it with hotels, watches, bags, everything. The hotel thing is the most fascinating to me. You have 50 people rent a hotel room. The viral penthouse suite with the best view and the best pictures that you can get. The ones that go viral. You're in the bed overlooking 100 stories of the big city below you. The sky is twinkling. You're sipping a little cafe latte. Everyone looks at you. They're jealous of your life. Well, you too can do that for the low price of $15. Only you have 15 minutes to take your pictures and get the fuck out. The wildest one is that people will get a hotel room overlooking water at vacation spots. They'll order the most decadent breakfast, which is caviar everywhere. And uh, the food goes cold while everybody splits the bill and takes turns taking pictures. (laughs) Just sitting in front of the untouched food and taking pictures and then getting up. And nobody actually eats the breakfast. So... You should probably pick something up on the way home. Okay, sorry. I got totally sidetracked. This is like something I found during the research of the fur dye. I thought it was fascinating. But back to the story. Chris, or Cheng Yu, he's kind of textbook second generation wealthy. He's the son of the chairman of Cartier in Asia, a product group executive in Asia, and as well as a senior consultant of the Chloe division in Asia. He spent most of his time in Paris. He was dating an influencer named Lucy I mean, this kind of made sense because this is like no surprise. It's like a thing with the Furidae. They usually date other Furidae or it seems like a lot of them date influencers. Mm. Like the prettiest influencers. You know Wang Zutong, Mm. one of the top names of Furidae. His dad is like the richest guy in China, owns AMC movie theaters. Yeah, the ones down the street. Yeah, that one. He's just known for like dating influencer after influencer. Just like back to back to back. So Chris is like, let me follow in my spiritual rich brothers, you know footsteps so he starts dating some influencers one of them is named lucy and at first she was enamored by his money let's be real you know who wouldn't be but slowly she got used to it which she never thought that she would get used to it but she did (laughs) and then you know girls and friends this is the part that she never got used to girls and friends or maybe so-called friends of hers would meet her boyfriend and then text her saying things like oh my god your boyfriend is so handsome what does that even mean what? You know, well, like, what does that mean? Are you implying that you're interested in my man? Did it bother her? You know, it's hard to say. Did she know that these types of text messages or this type of life or dating someone like Chris would lead to kidnapping and murder? Again, very hard to say. So let's talk about the Chen twins. The Chen twins had a lot going for them. They were both just 22 years old, and they had already managed to make a name for themselves. They were online influencers. They were online models. And it's actually kind of interesting. So Naomi's twin, Keji, used to work at a jewelry store, and all of these local news stations, they would come in to interview her. And you're like, oh, wow, slow news week, huh? Like, what are you interviewing her for? Like, oh, how are the inflation rates being reflected in jewelry? Like, is that what you're asking? What's going on? No. They came in to interview Keji and titled the whole news segment, the Mm. most beautiful jewelry saleswoman in all of Taiwan. This is kind of a wild discovery story. People started going crazy over Keji. Keji utilized the publicity to benefit her modeling career. And when the world found out that she had a twin named Naomi, 
I mean, it made them way more interested in her life. But it seemed like her sister Naomi was more into the online industry. And not in a bad way. She was just naturally drawn to the industry. You know, she was really good at photo shoots. She loved connecting with people online. She she loved that whole world. So she starts booking photo shoot after photo shoot. She was endorsing esports games. She did a ton of brand deals on social media. I mean, she was definitely an influencer that everybody regarded with some level of respect. Because it was clear that she worked hard. And it was reflected in her work. She was constantly up before the sun doing her makeup, getting ready for a day's worth of photo shoots and other contracts. And March 1st, 2017, was supposed to be no different. Naomi woke up in the morning, got ready, left the house at 10.30 in the morning. She was dressed to the nines and seemed to be, you know, in a good mood. She was excited about the day ahead of her. There was just always something new in this line of work. And, and sometimes that included not being able to pick up the phone when she was in the middle of an important shoot. So Naomi's twin, Keji, didn't automatically freak out when Naomi's phone just kept ringing and ringing and going to voicemail. I mean, they're adults. It's daytime. <laughs> I just saw her this morning. What is there to be panicked about? But like any twin sister, I mean, I mean, am I the only one that does this with my sister? If my sister doesn't pick up and I know that she should be picking up, I just call nonstop. <laughs> I just keep calling. So again, she just keeps calling. No answer. No answer. And soon, even the dial tone, like the Keji was listening to, and it just was adding this weird anxiety. She was getting, her breathing started picking up, and she didn't know why. I mean, it's not that this is so strange. Why do I feel anxious? This doesn't even make sense. Why do I keep holding my breath when I hear the beginning of her voicemail message? Why don't I feel okay? If anybody else said this, it sounds crazy. So Keji tried to text her sister instead of calling. Maybe she's really in a photo shoot, truly. Maybe she can't talk on the phone. Keji couldn't explain it, but she anxiously waited near her phone. She texted her twin, but got no response. Every time that Keji would try to distract herself with work and with watching TV or making lunch, she would randomly tap on her phone screen and see that it was not lit up with a notification. Keji would be eating and then pick up her phone from the table to make sure that it wasn't on silent mode. It wasn't. I don't get it. Why wouldn't she text back? Keji would go into her text messages to make sure that maybe her phone just wasn't sending her notifications. It was no accident. Naomi hadn't texted back. Maybe she lost her phone, but she would have called me. And just like that, after what felt like an excruciating amount of time, Keji's phone lit up with a notification on the screen. It was Naomi. It was the moment that Keji had been hoping for for the whole day. It was her sister's response. This was supposed to wipe out her stress. Her anxious indigestion was supposed to wash away. And she would let out a big sigh and make fun of herself for being such a paranoid, overbearing twin, right? But better safe than sorry. Those are the feelings that Keji was hoping for. But instead, she felt more dread. She's looking down at the lit up screen of her text messages from her sister. And it just didn't feel like her sister. Sure, it was from her sister's phone. The same number, the same contact, the same text thread. But why doesn't it feel like her? I think that's the worst type of feeling because you almost feel like you're crazy. Of course, it's going to be your sister. Why wouldn't it be? It's coming from your sister's phone. You have no reason to believe that it's not your sister. Don't be silly and paranoid. These are probably the thoughts that are going through Keji's mind. But still, she wrinkles her brows. And I'm sure even without explaining, you can think of your closest friends and family. You know how they text. Some people text in paragraphs. Some never punctuate. Some never abbreviate. Some text bubble after bubble to finish one simple statement. Everybody has their own way of texting. And if that person all of a sudden switches up their format, wouldn't that throw you off? 
And Keji was someone that never texted in shortened slang words. So instead of saying something along the lines of, it's giving corporate baddie, if you, I-Y-K-Y-K. Keji would be the type to text, have you seen the attire of someone in the corporate office? But imagine if the person looked like they came to work straight off the runway. That's kind of the look that your outfit was giving me. If you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like she would text it more like that. So Naomi, knowing this, would only text her sister in this sense. She would never abbreviate or use shortened variations of words. But all of a sudden, Keji is looking down at her phone and she sees these bubbles popping up. Ding, ding. Ding, and text after text that Naomi is sending is filled with slang and abbreviations and it's just what so this mixed with her anxiety from all day mixed with her twin intuition Keji knew that she shouldn't just sit around her sister might need her so she rushes to the police station with her boyfriend and they file a report thankfully the police did something right away I was shocked at this I don't know if they're just like the best police department ever but they didn't just sit around and say what if she's on a date what if she's busy? I guess whatever emotion or energy Keji was showing them, they felt like something bad must have happened. So they search for the location of Naomi's phone and it pings more than 60 miles away. What? Not even in our city? That's, that doesn't make sense. Keji's talking to her boyfriend and she's confused. If Naomi was going that far for a collaboration or a work project, she would have let me know. She would have brought a friend or something. I, I, I don't get it. Her boyfriend's like, okay, well, why don't we go to where her phone pinged and we just, we look around, let's see what's there. Now, the phone is not going to ping to like a building. The police were able to get it to like a general area. So their idea was to go to that general area and just like walk around, look around. Maybe there's an event going on. We don't know. Now, on the way there, Keji is nonstop contacting relatives, friends. Hey, um, sorry to bother you, auntie. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah, mom's doing well too. Listen, I know I, yeah. I should call more. Okay, real quick. Have you seen my sister? By any chance, have you talked to her? No? Okay. It's fine. No, don't worry. It's just some miscommunication, I guess. Okay, yeah, I'll call you later. Most of the calls resulted in fruitless answers. But a few had some tidbits of information that Keji could use to piece together what was going on that day for Naomi. Keji pieced together that Naomi was having a photo shoot during the day with a photographer named Chang Yu. Chris. And this was like a normal job, nothing too wild or anything. Naomi even knew Chris through a fellow influencer slash model friend of hers, um, Liang Xiu. Liang Xihui. So Lucy, and uh, they kind of ran in the same circle of influencers. So it, it wasn't even random. It wasn't like she was working with a brand new couple that she had never worked with. This is not a Chloe Ailing situation where, hey, just come over for this random you know, project we got. So Keji tries to reach out to the couple, Lucy and Chris, and somehow using her investigative work. I mean, I tell you, you give a woman a mission and she's going to complete it. Keji is able to not only track down all of Lucy and Chris's socials, but even found out Lucy's mom's house number. So she calls her up and Keji is trying to explain to her this bizarre situation. She's like, I know we've never met. It's probably so strange hearing from a random girl, but my twin sister is a friend of your daughter's and I am just so desperate to get in contact with my sister. Do you know where her daughter is or maybe where her boyfriend is? Because my sister was working on a project with them. Lucy's mom is like, oh, I haven't talked to Lucy all day. Um, I can try reaching out. Contacts Lucy, no response. She calls Lucy's boyfriend, so her daughter's boyfriend. No response. She calls Keji back and is like, hey, um, I don't really know what's going on, but they're not really picking up. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Now, at this point, everybody is treating this as if 
Keji is an overbearing sister. No one thinks that anybody went missing. I mean, I don't know if I would. I would just be like, oh, like I'm sure she's with a friend or something, but I, I don't know where she is personally. So has it even been a day yet? No. Oh. So that's why nobody's treating it with urgency. It's like, okay, it's been a few hours. <laughs> like, not that big of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so she left at 1030. It's probably mid-afternoon. So I guess like twin sister really have some connections, right? Yes. I guess they can just feel it. And uh, nobody is treating it with the same amount of urgency that Keji is. And this is like the one time I can't really blame these people. Keji starts posting on Facebook things like, does anybody know where Lucy is? Please help me find Lucy and her boyfriend. So this caused a bit of stir, not going to lie, because I don't know how I would feel if I read that. I would assume that something bad happened either to Keji because of the couple or to this couple, Lucy and the boyfriend. So someone commented, wait, why? Why are you looking for them? And Keji responded bluntly, my sister went out with them today and then she disappeared. So March 1st passes with no new news, no developments, nothing. An entire day passes. Keji felt like she was losing her mind. She tried to reason with herself. Okay, it's only been a day. Like tomorrow she's going to show up and it's going to be okay. Like deep down, it's going to be okay. But it was kind of useless. She knew it wasn't going to be okay. She knew that something wasn't right and she was fighting time to find her sister. She did not sleep at all that night. And the next day, Naomi's family finally gets in contact with Lucy. And Keji is gripping her phone so tight, sitting straight up, eyes wide. Like, it's like four in the morning, five in the morning. She didn't even get any sleep. H Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Hey, sorry. This is really weird, but I'm Naomi's sister. And I was wondering if you know where my sister is. I know that she was with you yesterday and now she's gone. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen her all day today or like at night. I actually didn't see her all day, so... Maybe she's like working with some brands or something. Um, okay, do you know what brands? Maybe I can try calling them. I'm actually not sure. I, I can try to give you a few numbers. I don't know if any of them will know where your sister is though. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Anything can help right now. Can I please get those numbers? Wait, can I get, hold on, let me get a pen and paper. So Keji gets the numbers, hangs up and starts making her round of calls. None of the numbers could be reached. So Keji gets ready and goes back out with her boyfriend to look for more clues, to look for Naomi. And they did periodically call Lucy. And I'm going to be honest, they probably called her quite frequently. I, I couldn't find out the exact number of times they were calling Lucy, but I would imagine it'd be a lot. I mean, wouldn't you? Your sister is missing. This is the last person that saw her. The only person that could give you a lead. You're freaking out. Fuck social cues and social, you know, norms. You just want to find your sister. But every time they talked to Lucy, she seemed bothered. Like she was just inconvenienced by the whole thing. She was always vague with her answers. Like, oh, she's probably off doing this. Oh, really? Where? Like, why do you think that? Well, I don't know. So you just think that she's off doing this, but you don't know? Like, did she say she was off doing that? I'm just saying she's probably off with some brands. But like, what brands? Did she tell you that she was working with brands? No. It was just starting to bother Keji. Like, please, why does it feel like she's talking to me in circles? And Keji being frustrated was showing her annoyance to Lucy and telling her, you know, you're not giving me any straightforward answers. Like, you were the last one to see her. Where did she say that she was going? Where did you meet her? Where did you guys split? Did she have any other plans? Like, why can't you just answer my questions openly? Why does it feel like you're trying to talk to me in circles and being so vague? And out of retaliation or anger, I don't know, Lucy posts on social media, the most ridiculous thing in my life is being accused of kidnapping Naomi. But Lucy spelt Naomi wrong in her post, like she spelled her name wrong, which later becomes a huge point of contention.
So they think she kidnapped. Yeah, like the way that their Keji is talking to her is almost like accusatory. Like, why are you talking to me in circles? Why can't、mm. you just tell me you were the last person to see her? Now, to an outsider, the fact that she spelled Naomi's name wrong just added this extra level of indifference. Like she just didn't really care at all. Sure, Keji could be annoyed, but also maybe she could rejoice in the fact that her call didn't go to, through to voicemails this time. The call connected. Mm-hmm. And so Keji is like freaking out and he- hello, she's so happy, you know. She probably felt this rush of like release of anxiety, but also maybe anger. Like Naomi, what is wrong with you? I've been trying to call you all day. Hello, Naomi, Naomi. Sorry, this isn't Naomi. This is an employee of the Evergreen Laurel Hotel here in Taichung City. I'm a housekeeper here. I found this phone in the room while I was cleaning it up, and I was about to go give it to the front desk, but then you called. So what?、Uh, wh- where's my sister? Oh, ma'am, I- I'm not so sure. I literally was just cleaning the room after people had checked out, and I found the phone. I'm I'm not sure how I can help. So Kenji is like, "Okay, can you hold on? Hold on right there. Like, hold on to the phone. I'm gonna be right there." So she rushes to the hotel with her boyfriend, meets up with the housekeeper. It indeed is her sister's phone, and now things are getting progressively worse. She dials the police and tells them everything that happened. And she turns to the hotel staff and says, "Okay, I need to go search the room in case you guys miss something. And can I just get access to the hallways and to all the floors? Because maybe she's like lost in this big hotel. Like it's a big hotel. Maybe she's drunk and got lost or something, right?" Hotel's like, "Ma'am, I understand that you're stressed." And upset, and I would be too in your situation. But the hotel has a strict policy: we are not allowing you into that room or just free roaming in the hallways on the grounds, because we need to protect customer privacy. And Kaji was upset. She felt like she finally had gotten her first real clue, and the hotel is not understanding what's at stake here. Like I don't care about the other customers. I don't. I'm not trying to find out who's having an affair in this hotel or something. Like I don't care. I just need to find my sister. Do you understand? I don't care about like customers. Like I'm not going to invade their privacy. Keji was not getting through to them, so she was forced to sit in the lobby and wait for the police to come. And again, they were really good about trying to get things moving. The police communicated with the hotel and persuaded them to at least provide them with the guest information. And that is how they found out that Lucy and her boyfriend Chris were guests of that very hotel, that very hotel room, the night that Naomi went missing. Where they found Naomi's the phone. phone. So Keji is sitting there thinking, "Who the hell really is this Lucy girl? I mean, it's so strange that she was being so evasive to all my questions. She seemed like she could care less. I mean, even a normal person would have been worried. Like, oh my God, my friend is missing. Let me see what I can do. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. Do you want me to come help look for her for you? Like, you want me to help in this search party? Like, isn't that what a normal person would do? No. Lucy would later be referred to as Naomi's best friend by the media. What? Lucy?、Mm-hmm. But in reality, they weren't that close. For example, Lucy never even learned the correct spelling for Naomi's name. She constantly misspelled it. Not just in that kidnapping post, like, "Oh, I'm being accused of kidnapping," you know.、Mm-hmm. She didn't know much about Naomi. Keji had never heard of Lucy, and surely, if they were close, Naomi would have mentioned Lucy. She always mentions her friends or even just acquaintances. So Keji and the media, who are intrigued by this case now, they all do some digging. And they find out that Lucy was born in Taipei. Her father was a police officer. Lucy's mom was a pastry chef, and the pastry chef was killing it. They were literally bringing in that dough every single month. They were making a lot of money. They were considered wealthy. Both their daughters, Lucy and her sister, were always praised by locals and community members as just being so beautiful. Like they were really pretty. They both had these big, big eyes and these tiny little faces, which is like a thing. And Lucy was really outgoing. It seemed she wasn't a fan of studying, but she was a partier. 
She was expelled from college. She went on to date a guy named Sheng, a well-known YouTuber in Taiwan. He's got like a, a 1.3 million followers. So they had this cute little relationship and like a lot of YouTube couples, girls on the outside, literally hate each other on the inside, just constantly fighting, arguing. They never got along. So inevitably they break up and it was really messy. You know, breakups in general are messy. Imagine social media breakups. So I guess they both tried to accuse the other party of cheating to try and win sympathy from their viewers. Lucy took it 20 steps too far, though. She doxed her ex-boyfriend slash YouTuber, straight up posted his phone number, his address, and other personal information online. Only the two just kept going at it. Of course, he had to retaliate, and it was just like punch after punch, and it didn't really calm down until Lucy met her next boyfriend, Cartier Chris. So Chris was this massive upgrade from the YouTuber. You know, YouTuber and their model exes. Everybody's got one, the YouTubers, right? It's cool and all. <laughs> but Chris, Chris was not a social media star. He's old money. He's, he's the one that all these social media stars aspire to be. He's a 24-year-old billionaire heir driving around in supercars. He has black cards, living a successful life. He's rubbing elbows and shoulders with executives of massive fashion houses and power names. He's not doing couples challenge. <laughs> language challenge. <laughs> Speaking only our native language challenge for 24 hours over on Miss Mango Bot on YouTube. He's not doing that. He's not doing that amateur shit, okay? <laughs> But he wasn't like the other second-generation rich kids. He had talent, actual skill. He was a well-known photographer who was shortlisted for a Pulitzer Prize. He was shortlisted for the Sony World Photography Award. Like, this guy was the real deal. He went, studied abroad. He lived most of his life in Betty. And Lucy fell head over heels for him. She moved in with him shortly after they met. And even when Lucy's dad died suddenly, Chris was there to comfort her. He attended the dad's funeral, befriended her family. Like, he was the ultimate boyfriend. He was raising the bar for just regular guys. And on top of that, this guy's old money and talented. Everyone would look at this couple and go, ladies, if he wanted, he would. So now fast forward to the couple's names being on the hotel guest list. And the police were confused. They were confused about this case in general, but it just didn't make sense for them for someone like Naomi to completely disappear and run off. It, it, it's been hard to find any indication of foul play. I mean, even their names being on the hotel is not foul play. So they look into Lucy and Chris's records, see what they can dig up on them. And well, our boy, Cartier Chris, he was wanted by the police for rape. What? I guess you don't have to deal with any consequences when you're that rich. He was already wanted for crying out loud. So the police issue a search warrant to search room 1122 where the couple had stayed that night. And not only did the, the housekeeper find Naomi's phone, the police found other items of interest. They found Naomi's insurance card, her driver's license and keys in the gar garbage can of the bathroom. Listen, that's not a normal thing to find in a hotel room. Like, why would someone blatantly throw out someone's thing in the garbage can inside the hotel room? It wasn't even down the garbage chute. Yeah. It was in the can in the room where, you know, housekeepers are going to clean it out before the room gets rented out again. And the room is under your name. This is a five-star hotel, so it's not the type of place you can just pay in cash and have some anonymity. It didn't make sense. So the police hoped someone could help them understand the bizarre findings. Chris himself sat down with the police. He's very calm, cool, and collected. And he said, oh, I did see Naomi that day. We met up for the photo shoot session, and then afterwards, she said that she had another booking with some photographer. Uh, I don't know what his last... His name was like... last name is Zhang or something. He lives in New Taipei City. 
So when she left to go meet up with him, I haven't seen her since. And we're not really on the level where we like talk to each other outside of work. So it's not like she was going to text me like, oh, I just got here. So I, I, I mean, I barely knew the girl. I don't know what she's doing. The police were skeptical because of all the things in the hotel room, but they tried to follow the trail. Photographer Zhang, the police tracked the guy down and I was screaming, oh my God, the photographer's not even real. Like, come on guys, I'm an idiot. The police do track the guy down. He's very much real, but he's not a photographer. He's just Chris's friend. Like just straight up Chris's friend. <laughs> Chris had even lived with him for a few months. So the police go back to Chris and they say, hey, like we know that you're lying because there is no photographer saying and you're like throwing your friend under the bus that lives in New Taipei City and it's just weird. Why would you lie about that? Yeah. Okay. Listen, the truth is Naomi got into this huge fight with her boyfriend and she said that she wanted to be left alone. And after the shoot, she just left. I felt like it was too personal of information to share with you guys. And I, I didn't know if her boyfriend had like connections with the police because she seemed really scared. So I came up with something else. I mean, I didn't know how serious this was. She's been missing for like, what? I don't know, 24 hours. I genuinely thought that she was just trying to get away from her boyfriend. Naomi's boyfriend is practically screaming at the police in the other room. Like, what are you talking about? Just find Naomi. Like, are you going to believe this guy? Like, you have to find my Naomi. Even Naomi's twin is flabbergasted. She's like, there's no way. Like, officers, I'm telling you, they were doing so great in their relationship. This is clearly a flat out lie out of nowhere. Like, he pulled it out of his ass. I'm her sister. If I suspected her boyfriend, I would have been the first person to tell you. So the officers, they're talking to each other, but they're kind of frustrated. Their hope was that Naomi was still alive somewhere. And if that's the case, time is of the essence. They need to find her. What if she's hurt? What if she's in pain? What if she needs medical attention? What if she's actively dying? The police kept Lucy and Chris away from each other and kept grilling them. The police were so desperate, they even shared paranormal stories with Chris. Okay, so hear me out. Apparently, the police believe that if you killed someone or someone died a painful death and somehow is associated with you, their ghost would come out around midnight and mess with you. That's what police telling Chris right now? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Okay. And I don't know if it's that or the hours of exhaustion or his conscious. I highly doubt the last one. But Chris looked up and said, do you want me to show you where I left Naomi? And the police stopped talking at once. Forget the ghost. Forget everything. What did you just say? I said, do you want me to show you where I left her? You have to take me to Taipei City then. And so they did. And on their way, the police confirmed two things in the car. One, that Naomi was left dead. And secondly, that Lucy knew about it. And they straight up asked Chris. Yeah, Naomi is left dead is what they're gathering from Chris's conversation. But hold on, okay? They asked Chris, did your girlfriend know that you killed Naomi? Yeah, she knows. How did she react? Shocked and then panicked. Can I get a cigarette? It was so bizarre. Like, I know that you're looking at me confused, and it's because it's confusing. Even the police were confused. From the initial confession to this conversation in the car, it's unclear why Chris even confessed. Maybe he wanted to brag. Maybe he wanted to show off his handiwork. Maybe he felt like Lucy was going to confess first. There seems to be no real reason. He didn't show guilt or remorse, so that's not it. He just wanted to smoke a cigarette, it seems. So the officers hand him one and Chris even comments, nice watch. I like that one. You guys have pretty good style. Maybe it's all his like fashion experience. And they drove like that with this awkward air hanging dead in the air. The neon city lights flashing by, just blurring in their eyes. And as they try to race to Naomi, I guess that's human nature though, huh? The police know that she's been killed. There's like this tiny bit of hope that maybe she survived. Maybe Chris was fucking with them. Or maybe he thought she was dead but they could save her. 
And honestly, I really appreciate the police in this case. They did try hard to get something done from the get-go. But I think that I think that all of that hope and all of that building of anticipation of like, maybe this is our one in a million case, guys, was thrown out the window when Chris said, take a right at the light and we're here. But this is the abandoned underground shopping mall. Yeah, exactly. Lucy was also there in another car escorted by officers. Chris had told them that she was in on it. She was there just in case, right? Now, Chris leads them to Naomi's body and it wasn't hidden well. It was in the underground abandoned shopping mall. Her body was just thrown off to the side in a dark corner. Someone had put a piece of wood around her, like on top of her. And when they removed it, the police saw that Naomi had a tight belt wrapped around her neck. She had been strangled. She was barefoot and her underwear was tossed to the side. Now, this is the part that's interesting. Chris led the police to the body. He told them that Lucy was involved, but at the same time, the police can't just take his word for it. So they're analyzing Lucy and her reactions to everything. They tell her outside of the abandoned building, Chris told us everything. Naomi's body was found. She was killed. And they said Lucy's reaction was, she just kept screaming, how did this happen? How could things even get to this point? Which like, I don't know. What do you think that means? Is that your reaction that you would have? Or would you say, what are you talking about? No, like, I wonder what a normal reaction is considered. But all I know is that the police did not consider this normal. So they bring the couple back to the police station and they start questioning them separately. And Chris says, I mean, I just did what I was told. What do you mean what what you were told? Lucy was the mastermind behind this whole thing. She was pissed. You know how women are. Naomi's career was taking off and Lucy was struggling. And that's not even the tipping point, though. Lucy really wanted this specific company to work with her. And it was going to be like one of her biggest deals ever. And they opted to go with Naomi instead. And for some reason, she felt like Naomi had stolen it for her. And it wasn't even like the company chose Naomi, I think. I don't even know. But Lucy felt like Naomi took the contract from her. And this was supposed to be her big break. It's like her big company deal. You know, she's finally going to break out of the nightclub deals. So Lucy, she wanted to head into like the fashion and lifestyle, the makeup world. And she was really upset that she had to support herself with sex work. So when Naomi just had to pose for cameras next to a bottle of lotion and live her dream. So she asked me to to help teach Naomi a lesson. I mean, of course, I thought she was joking, but she just kept talking about it. And I just went along with it. I mean... If this is how she needs to vent her anger, who am I to judge? I didn't actually think that she would do something. She fantasized about how I would lure Naomi out somewhere under the false story that I was going to work on a campaign with her. And then when we were alone, she wanted me to rape and rob her. We weren't going to kill her. We weren't even going to do this. I mean, I thought it was all talk. But then it happened. And it was really weird. Like, Lucy really, really wanted me to rape Naomi. I mean, obviously, I didn't want to, but she even took off Naomi's clothes for me so that I could assault her. And during the whole thing, she was holding a flashlight so I could see what was happening. And during the assault, Naomi kept asking Lucy for help because, I mean, at the end of the day, Naomi probably thought they were friends. But instead of helping, Lucy smashed her head over and over with the flashlight. So I started getting scared, Um, obviously not scared enough to stop, but it was creepy. So when I finished my nightmare assault on Naomi, she told me to strangle Naomi. And I just, I mean, I know I shouldn't have, but we were just kind of too deep at this point. I was scared myself of, you know, Lucy. So I did it. And while standing over her competition's dead body, it was pretty chilling. Lucy bent over, picked up Naomi's limp wrist, slid off her watch, and in one smooth movement, placed it onto her wrist. She reached into Naomi's packet, pockets, grabbed her things, gave them to me, and said, here, do whatever you want with these. 
I was so freaked out. I just got rid of them in the hotel room because I didn't want, like, I didn't want to be associated with this. Like, I never even wanted to do this in the first place. So the police, they took their notes. But, it, you know, it was taking everything in their power to not show their repulsion on their faces. Meanwhile, the officers were talking to Lucy in another room, and they heard a completely different version of the story. Lucy said, what? Wait, what are you guys even talking about? What is happening? I don't understand what's happening. I would never hurt Naomi. Like, this is so bizarre. I mean, neither would Chris. My boyfriend told me that he had a job for Naomi, and I connected the two. I wasn't even there during the shoot. I think you guys have the wrong guy. Like, I'm pretty sure that she met up with someone afterwards. It's not like I was even there to tell you. I was at home. I literally know nothing about what you're even talking about. This is insane. Like, I want to go home. Like, I have nothing to do with this. I can't believe this is happening. This is so dumb. The door opened and another officer came in and whispered something into the officer's ears. And the one questioning Lucy said, okay, thanks, got it. And the officer shuffled out without making any eye contact with Lucy. And then the officer cleared their throat and said, well, Lucy, where'd you get your watch? What? That's so random. I don't know. You don't know? Yeah, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe my boyfriend gave it to me. Why does that matter? Things are not looking for good for Lucy. If anything, she seemed irritated and annoyed. And it was only going to get worse. The police were able to find CCTV from the abandoned mall. They showed it to Lucy. Lucy, we don't like to point any fingers, but look, we're not playing around, okay? Look at this couple that are entering the building. We get a clear shot of Chris, and he turns his head to the camera. But the woman that's with him, she doesn't. She's wearing a hat and a mask. But come on, Lucy. She's got the same hair color as you, the same length. I'd be willing to bet some money that she looks identical to you. And unless you have a twin or something that we don't know about, I'm willing to bet money that it is you. What? What are you saying? I Okay, <laughs> I know I sound stupid and this sounds crazy. And even looking at it, like, fine, I get it. Like, it looks like me, but it's not me. <laughs> it's not me. Okay, well, Chris told us that it is you. And he also told us that there are two masks and an empty water bottle that he left in the abandoned mall near Naomi's dead body. He said that the masks belong to you guys. So we're going to run the DNA. And on the water, we have you buying the same water brand at a convenience store on the very day that Naomi went missing. So we're going to test the bottle for DNA. But to top it off, how do you explain this? Your phone pinged from the abandoned mall, which really isn't that close to your house where you said that you were. And speaking of phones, remember how the text messages coming in from Naomi's phone were the first things to alert her twin because Naomi never talked like that? Well, we went through your messages. Guess who talks like that? Lucy, you text like that. Even the way that you giggle in your text is the same way that Naomi's phone texted her sister back. But even then, the police had to wait a few days for DNA testing. Both Chris and Lucy were arrested, and the internet blew up. Netizens went crazy. Listen, both parties are bad, but netizens considered Lucy the mastermind. And the reason that she killed was disgusting. It's almost like we have become so accustomed to men raping for no reason other than the fact that they want to rape. So when someone kills for jealousy and for greed and something so superficial and dumb as the influencer world... It's something nobody can get behind. There's no reasoning with that. She just couldn't stand someone being prettier and more hardworking and more talented than her. That is the ugliest trait ever. Everyone broke out their claws and went in on Lucy online. People started digging up all the suspicious things from her past. Did you guys know that her dad only died like 50 days ago? How do you go from losing your father to murdering someone in cold blood in less than two months? You must really be a heartless bitch to do something like that. 
I mean, what kind of person is that cult? Think about it. Naomi's sister was calling Lucy and she was being so indifferent. She acted like she literally didn't care. Did you see the interviews that she did where the police and media kept asking her if she would like to say some words about it? And she was like, what? Why? Why should I? It's like she thinks that she's not even involved. She's the fucking killer. Or the part where she misspelled Naomi's name wrong on social media when she was ranting about being accused of kidnapping her. It's like her last spit on the grave, an added layer of disrespect. Just disgusting. Look at her. Every picture that she takes is overtly sexual. It's like she's overcompensating for the evil in her heart. She's a little snake. Besides, she photoshops her pictures too much. And look, she doesn't even look good without makeup on. She's a fucking snake, the commenters wrote. Even her ex-boyfriend, the YouTuber, posted on social media and said, I have never done anything like cheating on anyone. But what about those people that bullied me online when Lucy and I broke up? Have you really even verified the rumors before bullying me? No, because all of you guys love murderers. Whoa. He was pissed, to say the least. He was pretty much implying, I've known that she was evil from the get-go, but without even verifying it or listening to me, you guys trusted her blindly. And what, now that she killed someone, you're gonna act like she's evil? I told you that from the get-go. Like, that was kind of his vibe. Everyone got behind the YouTuber and was like, yeah, he's right, she's such a little snake. Like, we sh he was the first victim. No, she's not a snake. Her boyfriend is the snake slithering in the grass. But Lucy is worse than a snake. She's a scorpion. Scorpions are terrifying. Their venom can be so potent that it'll kill you. If you ever get stung by one, expect intense radiating pain. People describe it as a fire burning hell underneath your skin that's trying to cook you from the inside. You start tingling and you wonder to yourself, why scorpion, why? But there's no answer because scorpions have allegiance to no one. They will attack any other animal, other scorpions, and even family members. And scorpions are the ultimate hunters. They sit patiently for hours in just one spot without moving any of its many legs. They're as still as water, a still pond. They're waiting for you to patiently come closer and closer. And at lightning speed, the tail hammers down on the prey with paralyzing blows. And once the meal is motionless, the scorpion will tear the prey apart and eat it. And the easiest way to spot a scorpion is to shine a black light on it. Literally, shine a light on it. That's when you see it glowing green in the dark and you see it for its true form, an evil scorpion waiting to kill. And you know what? That sounded like Lucy. And the public had just shined the light on her. And the only person that didn't believe that Lucy was glowing green like a jealous, envious scorpion was, well, exactly who you would expect, Lucy's own mom. Lucy's mom was adamant that she had nothing to do with it. The police know her as the mad woman running around town trying to get some random security footage so that she could get her daughter out of prison. And well, she got it. Lucy's mom was able to find footage that provided Lucy with her alibi. She was home when Naomi was killed. And the woman that walked in, in with Chris into the building was actually Naomi. And everyone that believed Naomi was a mysterious third party. Okay, so when they walk into the building, you see a couple walk in. And Chris said that that was Lucy. In reality, it was Naomi. But then people were saying there was another woman who had a mask and hat on who looked like Naomi. So they were meeting Naomi, right? The third woman was a random woman that coincidentally happened to be there. People thought it was Chris and Lucy, Lucy meeting Naomi. Meeting Naomi. But it was Chris and Naomi going for the photo shoot, and this random woman that had nothing to do with them did not interact with them. Plus a stranger. Got yeah. it. Okay. So everyone believed, yeah. 
and the DNA results on the mask and bottles concluded that Lucy was not there. In other words, there was no evidence at all that Lucy was at the crime scene from beginning to end. Her alibi was confirmed by CCTV. Now, it's kind of ridiculous that the police would get so many girls confused, right? Like, everyone is like, wait, all girls with brown hair look the same? The excuse the police gave was even more bizarre. Well, the girls were wearing masks and hats since it was cold outside, so it was difficult to tell them apart. Thanks. That's reassuring. And uh, the one piece of the puzzle that was left kind of open-ended was, but Lucy's phone was at the crime scene. That one was easy. That was the reason that Lucy's mom was even riled up to begin with. During Lucy's father's funeral, someone had stolen Lucy's phone. She ended up having to get a new one, but I guess the police found her old SIM card. And for some reason, she didn't deactivate it and it pinged at the abandoned mall. Which brings us to the next question. Why the hell did Chris steal his girlfriend's phone at her own dad's funeral and bring it around with him for weeks and keeping it on his body while he murdered someone? It felt like he was deliberately trying to put Lucy at the scene of the crime because he said Lucy was there, even though we now know that she wasn't. The prosecutors revealed the case and decided that Lucy had nothing to do with it. They didn't even have enough evidence to keep her in prison, so they released her. The prosecutors concluded that they felt like Chris was trying to take advantage of specific laws that were in place, which when you think about it, it's very alarming. Like it shows that this is so heavily premeditated. For example, if you were to deliberately kidnap, rape, and murder someone, you are either looking at a life sentence or the death penalty. But in a lot of cases, if you are incited to kill, then it can be reduced to less than 14 years. And the mastermind would get life or the death penalty. So Chris wanted to kidnap, rape, and murder Lucy's work acquaintance and have Lucy take the fall for it. I have never heard of a boyfriend so messed up. I mean, think about the layers of twistedness in this case. It's truly disgusting. Yeah, but why does he do that? Just you wait. So the world switches up really quickly. They're like, (laughs) well, that makes sense. I mean, imagine your acquaintance, not even a friend goes missing. Yeah, you would be worried for them because they're missing, but also you'd be confused why their family is accusing you. Like you might even start getting frustrated because I'm not even close with them. Like, why aren't you calling their friends? Like this just feels so random. And why are you being so hostile to me? I don't know where she is. Why do you think I know where she is? Maybe Lucy's frustrated with the police because it's like, why are you asking me for questions I don't have the answers to? Like, I barely know this girl. What? Even when the police told Lucy that Naomi's body was found, she was hysterical. Yeah, she was distraught because imagine your acquaintance is murdered, but not to the degree that they wanted. The police were expecting her to be like devastated, like she had just lost her best friend. Lucy also consistently showed annoyance to Naomi's family because I genuinely think that she had this attitude of like, wait, why are you calling me again? Like, I told you what I know. I, what? Like, this doesn't even make sense. So this gets out that she's innocent and the media literally does a 180. Like they don't even try to save face and be like, the police messed up and we were told at the press conference. No, they were just like, we just feel so bad for her and her mom. Like, let's all show some sympathy to this family. Even Lucy's ex-boyfriend, the YouTuber, had to publicly apologize. Um, It was alleged that Lucy might sue him for defamation because he had called her a murderer. Netizens deleted their comments and rewrote the comments in the history books. And everyone was like, I knew it from the get-go that she was innocent. And I bet that's such a confusing experience for Lucy. And I bet that's very terrifying because if her mom hadn't done everything that she could, and if there wasn't CCTV in strategic places, Lucy would probably be going to trial with Chris right now. Which, speaking of Chris, Chris finally confessed. He said he had done everything himself. He had brought Naomi down to the abandoned mall. And um, he told her it was like a cool photo shoot concept. The abandoned aesthetic. We've seen it before. 
But Naomi started to feel uncomfortable because there weren't even lights on inside. They just had the flashlights of their phone. And she's thinking, well, how did you bring studio lights? I mean, you're packed lights. How are we? And Naomi panicked and screamed and tried to get away. But Chris grabbed her, threw her on the ground, strangled her until she fainted, and he raped her. But she woke up and cried for help. And he got so panicked that someone would hear her that he put her belt around her neck and started tightening the grip. Naomi fainted again. And when he was done with the brutal assault, he dragged her body to the corner of the mall. She wasn't actually dead yet. She suffocated to death because he dragged her by the belt. She, her entire body weight was being dragged by her neck. That every time he dragged her body, the belt would squeeze tighter. And after that, he covered up her body and took her phone, logged into her Facebook, and texted Lucy, your boyfriend is handsome. What was that? It's weird. I mean, I get it if he's trying to create an illusion that Naomi is still alive. But your boyfriend is cute and handsome. That feels like another gross, egotistical power move. First of all, who says that? That's not really something a girl would say unless she wanted to start a fight. And it's not something that Naomi would ever say. She is not that type of girl. She was a girl's girl at the end of the day. Second of all, she had a boyfriend that she was madly in love with. And... Not to really put someone down for their looks, but this guy is an asshole, so I guess we can do what we want. He's not cute, nor is he handsome. So he sends the Facebook message standing over Naomi's body, reaches down, and grabs the rest of her things, as well as the watch off of her wrist, which he will later gift it to Lucy. Then he covered her body with a piece of wood, and he was trying to take a bracelet off of her wrist, but said it was too hard to get off. So he just gave up and left. But you might be wondering... That doesn't make sense. If he's a Cartier heir, and even if this took place overseas in Taiwan, I I would have heard about it. This should have made international news, right? It came out during the trial that Chris didn't just lie to frame his girlfriend for rape and murder. He lied about his entire life. Chris did not grow up as a Cartier heir. In fact, he didn't even own anything that was real Cartier, I believe. He has no association with Cartier. He didn't even own a Cartier ring. He grew up with a different kind of bangle around his wrist handcuffs. Even when Chris was young, he had a history of multiple assaults, rapes, and negligent injuries. Probably the worst of his offenses happened when he was adult. He raped a 15-year-old girl, and then his mommy bribed the 15-year-old girl to drop the charges. He was married when all of this happened. Lucy was his mistress, and she had no freaking clue. Chris claimed to his mistresses, that he was a wealthy second-generation rich kid. He was putting his passion into photography. He, If you consider photography, going to the BMW store and sitting on one of those display cars and taking a picture of your fake watch with the steering wheel and posting it as if you have been driving around in that thing, then fine, maybe you are a photographer, Chris. He bought keys to cars online, like Ferrari keys, Porsche keys, Maserati keys, to flex online. Like he would take those cringy key shots where he's just holding all of his car keys in his hand, what and like this is a lot of effort to put into it to buy it and then take a picture and do all this flexing and then what you're gonna lie to people oh the ferrari's in the shop actually so is the bentley and the lamborghini and that's why i walked that's why i took the bus i like to i like to take the bus so i know what poor people feel like like i don't understand what you're even doing sir he's like that person and these keys are not even cheap they range from three to six hundred dollars online and when he would go out with his girlfriends, he would just have the most obnoxious key ring with like 25 supercar keys in his fucking key ring and his <laughs> wallet. And he would say, hey, like when people see my wallet and my keys, like th- they try to rob me. So like, can I throw it in your purse so nobody sees? And the girl would be like, sure. He'd throw it in the purse. And then he'd be like, hey, like I know we just ate and stuff, but 
this place I've been here before, they never take black card Amex. It's like, like only certain places take it. Like these like poor restaurants, they don't take it. You know what I mean? So can you just pay and I'll, I'll, um, yeah. And the girls, I mean, it's not like he's taking advantage of them. He's a billionaire. He's just too rich for his own good. He doesn't realize that when you go to like a mom and pop shop, they don't take black cards. <laughs> so they would pay. And then when they were done, he'd say, hey, uh, can I just like grab my stuff out of your purse and I'll see you tomorrow. But while he's doing that, he would steal the girl's wallet. Oh, my God. And literally oh take God. their cash. This guy is some nose. And he was so annoying to the point when he wouldn't even just ghost the girls. The girls would reach out and be like, hey, like, do you know where I put my wallet? Have you seen it? And he'd say, you know, I told you it's wild out there. You got to be more careful. Everybody's just out for cash. So this came out during trial, and the prosecutor suggested that Chris be sentenced to the death penalty for everything that he had done and the countless crimes against women and for murder. But instead, he was given life in prison. Why? The court said for two reasons. One, he only wanted to sexually assault Naomi. He didn't want to kill her. And two, Chris didn't kill Naomi in a cruel way. Yeah. Taiwan was outraged when they heard the verdict. Okay, I'm not a huge fan of the death penalty, but I also think that when it comes to crime, I need to put that aside because I would never, ever stand in front of a victim's family and say, I don't believe in the death penalty that you want. I would never do that because I don't know. I don't know how I would feel if my loved one was dead because someone took their lives. So I, I can't really stand in front of a victim's family and say, Mm-mm, death penalty is bad. So I'm not arguing for the death penalty and nobody in Taiwan was, but it felt like a slap in the face. Like, just say you're not giving him the death penalty. Why are you going into this not protect? Oh, because when he kills you, when he only meant to rape you, because, you know, rape's not that bad. He's not that bad of a person, right? Like kidnapping, raping, suffocating, strangling, and murdering is not that particularly cruel. Then what's cruel? It just felt so gross. Chris even smiled in court when the judge handed down his sentence, and he found out that he had escaped the death penalty. Naomi's family was heartbroken. They said that Naomi died in horror and fear in a dark basement at just 22 years old. She was just starting her life. How is this not particularly cruel? To even use such a phrase to describe the murder is cruel. Lucy went on to jumpstart a live streaming career. Chris tried to appeal his sentence twice, but it hasn't been working. Naomi's sister, Keji, is trying to live the best life, not just for herself, but she's living for two now. She's published a book. She founded a clothing brand. She started accomplishing goals that when she and Naomi were young, they would lay in bed and giggle about and daydream about. They would always say, one day we're going to have our own clothing brand. And Keji made it happen for her sister. But she said no matter how much success she feels or achieves, no matter any of that, no matter the support, she would trade everything in just to have her sister. And that is all she wants. I can't imagine losing a sister. I can't imagine losing a twin. I, I don't know. I imagine maybe it is a little harder. Yeah. Because, you know, my sister's a lot older than I am. And so I, I see her as this older figure where I go to for advice. But a twin, it's someone that's living through the same experiences with you. And mm -hmm. you always have someone who's on the same page as you. And then mm -hmm. to suddenly feel like they're gone. Yeah. I don't know. It just feels so bad. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, Chris is truly such a heinous person. The fact that he tried to frame Lucy, the way that people reacted to Lucy, this is one of those cases, again, and even I need a reminder once in a while that 
people don't always behave the way that you behave. You know, people really went after her. And I, it's hard to say that I wouldn't have done the same thing. I might have felt like she was, okay, I wouldn't have said all the crazy stuff online, but I probably would have thought to myself, mm, I don't know. What are your thoughts? And uh, stay safe out there. I will see you guys on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye.